Welcome to the Business Herald podcast. The Business Herald is a weekly roundup of all of the top UK business news stories by email, social media and this podcast. The podcast will feature some of the week's main stories and we'll be joined by various business people each episode to discuss the news and how it might impact a smaller business like yours. And hopefully we'll have some fun on a Friday too. I'm your host, Stephen Mather. I'm a lawyer for SMEs and I help business owners sleep better at night by sorting out their legal problems. And stay tuned for the next episode of The Business Herald. So this week, I'm joined by James Blacklaws and Jamie Cochran, and I'll let them introduce you. James, first. Yeah, afternoon, Stephen. Um, yeah, I'm James Blacklaws, and I've run a business called JB Commercial Finance for the last five years, and offering independent whole-of-market advice with regard to business lending, all aspects to SME Marketplace. So it's good to be here today, Stephen. Thank you very much. What James didn't mention is he is a Norwich City football fan. Um, yeah, so we won't hold that, that against him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Jamie, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name's Jamie. I'm an associate at a company called PBC Business Recovery and Insolvency. We provide financial advice and solutions to both businesses and individuals that are struggling financially, uh, those that are uh, struggling to deal with their their debts and uh, don't know where to turn and hopefully we're the, we're the people that can uh, point them in the right direction and, and straighten them out. Thanks very much. I, I like I like Jamie. I get on with Jamie even though he is a Northampton Saints rugby fan but uh, you know we can't always be winners can we? Let's turn to start with let's turn to the reduction in the furlough scheme. Um, as uh, everybody listening will probably know the, the start of September saw a reduction in the Furlough scheme down from 80% to 70% and now employers have to pay some of the, uh, the tax and pension contributions as well. That's not funded by the government. So what do you think, James, the effect of that will be on the small business? You got any comments on that? I think um, what we've learned over the last few months is small businesses who have continued the trade are going to become a lot more streamlined. And um, if you've not been at your workplace for several months now, chances are, your business will find a way of actually coping without you. So I remember talking to a friend of mine about three, four months ago, who'd be made furloughed. And they were, as a lot of people were, were quite happy about this because they felt they were getting paid a majority of their salary for nothing. And mm. I was offered him one piece of advice. And my piece of advice was start looking for a new job now. Yeah. And um, unfortunately last week it was indeed made redundant. Mm. And I don't think that's going to be an uncommon occurrence. I yeah. think with, we are going to see an awful lot of people with no jobs to go back to. Um, and I, I can completely understand why, as an SME owner, you would be looking to take your staff down. If you employed 10 people before, but you found out actually you can do a majority of your business with six going forward, then why would you continue to employ those people if you can make make your business a success without them? It's, um, it's very much going to be an employer's marketplace for the mm. next couple of years. Um, and the powers swayed there. So I think if, if you are currently furloughed, please make provision for that. And please mm. train, please consider alternative work. work so the, the, the latest stats um, haven't come out yet, but as at the end of August, there were still 3 million people on the furlough scheme. Yeah. Those kind of numbers are worrying to me because I, I, I think like you, James, that if you're still on the furlough scheme now, there's a good chance that you aren't getting your job back. Um, because of redundancies um, and, and three million people that's that's a lot that's still a big number of people that are furloughed 
it, it is it is an awful lot of um, people. And if you look at traditional unemployment figures in this country, um, if we look at who's unemployed now, and we added, let's just say, a third of those people to it, we, all of a sudden we're dealing in record numbers mm. of, of unemployed. And that's mm. not even including people from zero-hour contracts, etc. Yeah, it's it's going to be a major issue, I feel, for HMRC as we look to repay an enormous tax bill at a time of increased unemployment mm. um so as far as the impact on the sme marketplace it's likely it could be it could be positive in a way because it's going to be an employer's market so you can pick and choose to an extent and there'll, there'll probably be wage suppression for, for, for employees i think it's going to be a big challenge and i think for hmrc it's going to be a big challenge and i know we're going to touch on a couple of topics which are going to impact business owners the other end with regard to taxation. So it's not a good thing. There, there, yeah. There's no good news here. And um, those of us who suspected a few months ago that furlough was merely kicking the can down the road, I, I suspect that will prove to be true. And um, I suspect it'll also be a, a, a body of opinion which forms quite soon, which effectively suggests it may have been better to have taken the pain initially with regard to this both from businesses surviving and um, unemployment figures, rather than kicking it down the road and add an extra few billion onto the, the UK's national debt. You say, uh, you say, James, there's no, no good news. Um, but actually, if you're a small business, it's, it has really helped. Um, and no one says this. No one, no one ever talks about this. But actually, um, it's given people a reason or an excuse to make redundancies and... and, and um, and trim the fat, get rid of the, you know, get rid of people, get rid of staff that perhaps weren't pulling their weight, aren't quite necessary, or there's been a change in the way in which work has been delivered, etc. And so it's not great for the economy, and it's not great if you're that individual being made redundant. But from a business point of view, it's it's been a, a, a good and uh, convenient excuse to uh, to make redundancies perhaps more than you would normally do in order to streamline. Jamie, have you got any views on that subject? Yeah, I was just thinking about we've got so where employers have possibly found where, you know, go back to James's example where they had sort of 10 staff. Well, they, if all these 10 staff were in the office, they, they may have spent 20% of their time just talking to each other and not actually working. Whereas when they've been working from home, for example, or where they brought back sort of part, top, part of the staff, yeah. they've realized as, a, as the SME business owner that they can run with 60% of the staff and still get... Mm the same amount of work done so yeah whilst that's not good for the employees employers and businesses have realized that they can um they can make a few redundancies and, and streamline um and potentially even even if we look at the bigger employers out there that this you know the likes of sort of m&s and, and likes of that that are making large numbers mm. of redundancies yeah. are they actually streamlining their businesses and in order to protect their reputation they're just blaming the pandemic as a result as to why they're making these redundancies and yeah. not actually, do you know what our business model needs to needed to change? Yeah. Um, and we're just going to blame the pandemic on that. Absolutely. In, in actual fact, if you look at the detail of say, say Marks and Spencer's, they announced 7,000 redundancies and it was on the back of their in-store sales over the last six months period having dropped. Imagine that the shops weren't open. Um, so of course they dropped. Um, and and this, their sales dropped uh, in store sixty percent um, over that period. So obviously they've done something uh, before the lockdown. And um, 
and online for them had increased conveniently. I think the figure was 57%. Um, but it was a, it was a very, very similar figure. So their overall picture probably isn't that bad because um, of the delivery, but it just means that they can blame the pandemic, actually streamline, they move online, which is probably what they should do anyway to avoid a, a kind of blockbuster situation and, and just be dependent on the high street. But you talked about um, yeah, the kind of people working from home. It's a, another subject that's come up this week. The government are um, incredibly keen to get people back into the office and back spending money on lunches and that kind of thing. Um, but the, the survey uh, that came out this week said that actually nine out of 10 people prefer working from home. And, um, and in actual fact, they're doing 48 minutes more work per day. Though, actually, when you read the survey, it, um, it says that their start time is earlier and their finish time is later. It's not quite the same as working 48 minutes per day extra. But I think the general consensus is people quite like working from home and uh, don't quite like going to the office. And we've seen a lot of people like Capita closing offices down. Do you think this is a, a long-term impact of the, the, the pandemic or is it going to pick up in a few months' time when everyone realises that it's back to normal? What do you think? I think it's um it's here to stay. I mean, there's been a sway towards it. I mean, my my experience is in the finance sector, and certainly in the last few years, as um cheap technology, mobile phones, um, systems to allow secure connections at home via laptops, there's been more and more working from home were available, mm. and this kind of technology is so easily accessible now. And to set up someone from home, all you generally need is a, a secure connection, a cheap laptop and a mobile phone. And if you compare that to the costs of running a large office, paying the rent, paying the rates, paying the insurance, as well as the potential environmental impacts, even leaving aside the, um, the productivity of working from home and office and, and employee happiness, a lot of the time, economically, it will make sense for, a, for um, someone who runs a 25 people in the call centre to tell them to work from home. Yeah. Um, then, then you have the, the human factor with regard to people generally are more comfortable working from home. I think it's here to say, albeit I'm not 100% convinced of the increased productivity of working from home myself. Um, and I, I do think that there's a lot to be said for throwing ideas around in an office environment as, as well as sharing best practice, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it is here to stay. I think there'll be more and more of it. And I think employers will offer it as an employee perk um, when people are applying for jobs. Yeah. And I dare say there will be a lot of employees now who almost have that as a red line when they apply for a job. They want to be able to work at least a certain percentage of the week remotely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was a there was a story. It was last week. Um, PwC. They've uh, they're they're one of these employers that have said, you know, no need to come into the office. They're looking at closing closing offices, and um, you know, not expected to be in the office. But their internal surveys suggest that actually people will still go into the office probably two days a week. Um, yeah. And I think that that may be where we end up with a balance uh, of people still going in for meetings and, and, and catching up and doing the gossiping and that kind of thing um, yeah. and uh, and then the rest of the time working from home and 
you know, we'll see that in, in the smaller businesses as well. And it all, always trickles down, you know, the, the, the smaller business. I know a smaller business owner might feel like if everybody is in the same office, they've got that level of control, but having the right systems in place and the right uh, software tracking and that kind of thing, we can work out productivity um, and, uh, and that kind of thing. Jamie, do you have any views on the working from home situation? Yeah, well, it, it does help as a business owner. If you're thinking, well, the next 12 months, you don't know what that's going to hold and you're already looking, well, there's no possibility of increasing wages for staff. Well, if, if the employee is working from home, how much are they saving on petrol, you know, wear and tear on the car, um, you know, or if they commute to work by train, the cost of, you know, train travel in a car park pass for a year at your local train station you know that's you, you know that's a couple of decent holidays a year just in mm. car parking that, that mm. the employees saved so yeah there's and actually even you know the, the look of well you know like normally if i go to work i buy a coffee and i might buy something you know i might buy lunch out well actually if i make my lunch at home and take it with me or if i'm just making you know i'm going into the next room to make my lunch i'm, I'm making a massive saving there as well so as an employee so that could be some good news for employers as well, where um, employees actually see effectively an increase in their in their net take-home pay because they're not having to spend as much in simply getting to and feeding themselves at work. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe that has um, an impact on the house prices. So Nationwide Survey uh, figures released this week on Wednesday said that the house prices were up 3%. And in fact, just in August alone, they increased 2%. Um, and, and maybe that's the way, well, I, I, I question how um, viable increases in the property market can be, bearing in mind uh, earnings and mortgage, um, uh, the mortgage market, and whether or not house prices can continue to increase that rapidly. And maybe, maybe they, they can, because if people aren't spending, you know, five grand on a train season ticket, and they've got five grand's worth of earnings, that means they can get another, what, 25, 30 grand on a mortgage. And, and maybe that will help the house prices increase as mortgage um, viability goes up. James, you are chief economics editor for the, uh, for the JB Commercial Finance. Um, what's, what's your view on the house prices? Do you think they'll carry, carry on going up? Well, house prices is, is the purest um, supply and demand market there mm. in. Um, and house, when people talk about ridiculousness of house prices, it is, it's wrong because it's simple supply and demand. And um, they won't sell if they're priced incorrectly, simple as that. So I think what a lot of people have learned over lockdown is that they, there's money they want to spend on their houses, there's time they want to spend in their houses, and they feel they're going to have to get more used to spending time in their houses, whether that's because they're not able to... Um, socialize in the same way because of um social distancing or whatever it may be or whether they're going to work from home from now on so i, I think there will be um more people wanting to stay at home and i think if you're going to stay at home you're now thinking well you know what i might as well move to a home i actually prefer mm -hmm. so i think we're getting a short-term bounce of people who have realized that they've spent a lot of time at home and actually they want to buy a different house because they can see faults in their home. Yeah. And I think based on what you've said as well, and what we've just been talking about, about working from home, I think people are going to have different expectations. And so for instance, if you live in a free bed, semi-detached house, but now you're realizing you're probably going to have to work from home from now on, you're probably thinking, crikey, 
I now need to buy a, a four bed house because I need a permanent office or I need to buy a house which has got um, sufficient garden space for me to build a, a glorified shed, for want of a better term, in, in the garden for me to actually have a permanent office space. So I do, I do think that people will want to spend more time at home. I do think that people have made decisions during lockdown. Again, we, we've all had a, a, a taste of our own mortality as well. So maybe people are thinking, well, rather than paying off my mortgage at 50, I'm happy now to pay it off at 60, which means I'm moving home um, because we've all had a dose, with, a, do, a dose with a pandemic. So I think there is a short-term bounce. Is it sustainable? I would suggest not because how can we have an economy where we're going to have unemployment probably go to record levels? We're going to have wage stagflation um, and... How they, they don't fit in with a rise in the, in, um, the mortgage market base, especially when lenders have announced that the 10% mortgages are incredibly hard to get at the moment and 15 to 20% is the industry norm. Mm. So I think there'll be um, a dip in the first-time buyer marketplace, which will in turn, of course, affect the entire chain. So I do think we're having a short-term bounce, but I do believe that in a year's time, property prices will start to actually drop and possibly drop reasonably dramatically um, over the coming last couple of, couple of years following that. That's my personal view. Yeah. Jeremy, do you think that will, um, do you agree? And do you think that we will see that in the commercial property market as well? If no one's working from offices, do they really have any value anymore? Are the rental yields going to drop down, uh, et cetera. And you see on the high street, no, you know, all the, High street shops are turning around to their landlords and saying, well, we want, you know, the rent to be half the price it was. And do you think the value in property is just going to drop quite considerably? Yeah, I think they've got a couple of points. So looking at, you know, the, the stats for for August, effectively, they went up by 2%, didn't they? But that's effectively about £5,000. But that's still a, that's offset by the, the, the saving in um, the stamp duty, temporarily saving that... Uh, Mr. Sunak, um, one of his vote winners. Um, but the other thing about people's properties is if they're, going back to our previous stories, if they're, not, if they're not commuting long distances every day of the week, are they prepared to move a little bit further away from the big city, whether that be London or Birmingham or, or wherever, and actually move a little bit further into the countryside to get, to get that garden or, the, or the, the green view that they wanted? And does that actually move... What the, the the areas of the market where house prices are are, are going to change? Um, what one for everyone to uh, to ponder on? Yeah. Going to commercial property, yeah, I think you know, look at every big store, um, sort of Next or Debenhams or, or whatever, um, is is trying to have this argument with their landlord. Um, you know, your rent's far too high. It's been far too high for ages. Mm. Um, and no one's coming into our stores because we're all shopping online. Um, and I can't see commercial properties ever being ever being really viable ag- again because we're talking about employer and employer and employee who who's got the the power in that in that marketplace. Well, now the power seems to have seems to be going back to the tenants now. Um, there's a there's a rumor that Next are trying to renegotiate their landlords that if any um, landlord agrees a rent reduction on any other store 
um, then next are entitled to the equivalent reduction, um, mm. whether that's yeah. through a formal process um, such as a, a, a CVA, which is a form of insolvency, um, or not, then I think that power has definitely moved, moved to the tenants because they can just say, well, yeah. look, I've got so much choice now. Um, you know, I, I don't have to stay here. I can go, I can go somewhere else. And, you know, I think you only need to look at, you know, how much did John Lewis spend on that new store in, um, above New Street in Birmingham? Um, and then they're not going back there. So, going back. yeah. No, no. Well, yeah, you see, you're seeing a lot of tenants, tenants, um, now turning around and, and, and trying to have turnover linked, um, rent as well in, in, in commercial shops mostly. Um, so that, you know, if, if things are dry up, then the rent goes down accordingly. It's, it's a, a ratio. But, uh, I think what this also provides, though, for the SME marketplace, and I've been saying this for a while, is an opportunity because the, the market in actual commercial mortgages is, is still okay. And so if you are currently renting a property and have done for a sustained period of time from a commercial landlord, especially a large one, they may well be looking to, uh, to shed some of their stock at the moment. As, as Jamie says, there's going to be an awful lot of empty properties. So if you've got the opportunity to purchase your own freehold at a reasonable price and you know that your business is sound enough to continue to make the, the mortgage payment, then it's potentially a very good opportunity for you, your business and your family as an investment. So for the SME owner, there are opportunities out there if you're prepared to sort of, you know, grab the bull by the horns and actually take them. Yeah. You know of anyone that could assist them with that process, James? <laughs> yeah, come back to me later about that one, Jamie. That's, that's it. Um, so next on the list is taxes. And, and, a, and a couple of times, a, a number of stories in the last week of um, the rumour mill about uh, the chance they're having to increase taxes. One think tank said that there needs to be a fairly substantial tax increase um, and the general consensus across all the papers certainly seems to be uh, corporation tax increasing from 19 to 24, maybe, percent. Um, uh, change in capital gains, maybe aligning that with income tax. This is something that we're just going to have to expect, isn't it, with the, um, with the cost of the coronavirus? It's just something, it's an inevitability, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I would say so. Um... There's a lot of people who take quite a negative view on this government's attitude towards the SME owner, especially the limited company owner. Um, and it seems for some reason that the, the current um, chancellor views the business community as easy pickings with regard to, um, with regard to certain things. So I, I think the, the business owner will be targeted for taxation and a 5% jump in corporation tax seems excessive. Uh, I think it's very important that SME owners understand the implications of this. You know, and it might, it might not sound like a huge amount, but if you're making a £30,000 a year net profit, all of a sudden that's 1,500 quid extra straight from your pocket into the tax man's. Yeah. And um, that, that sounds like a lot to me because £30,000 is quite a, you know, it's quite a modest profit for a, for a good business, mm. it's effectively a good member of staff's monthly salary or possibly a subscription for the year to a software or your accountant's bill. So it's, yeah. it's a lot of money. Um, and I do believe 
it's not a good move. I don't see how you can stimulate productivity and, and business and enterprise and people wanting to start their own business after being made redundant if all of a sudden you're going to increase their corporation tax level by 5%. Yeah. So it, 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 appear, it appears to be using uh, the business community as a cash cow. And I'm not, I'm not convinced that's the road to recovery, if I'm honest. No. Jamie, do you think they will increase taxes or do you think they'll have a more concerted uh, attempt at recovering taxes that are owed? So we, we know sort of the changes in the Finance Act uh, gives HMRC quite a lot of powers in terms of the coronavirus support schemes and abuse of them. You know, if someone has uh, incorrectly or improperly claimed on the furlough scheme while the employees are still been working, HMRC can try and recover those costs um, or that funding direct from the business or direct from the business owner and get around limited liability. You think that they're, they're, your experience going to go after um, you know, the individuals, go, go for the company for the tax that's owed? I think HMRC always have a policy of trying to, of trying to get the easy wins. Um, so, you know, big companies that will you know, take, take the bosses of HMRC out to lunch never seem to get targeted. It always seems to be the SMEs. Um, we often say when we're advising people that if you owe, say, HMRC £5,000, that's your problem. But if you owe them £50,000, that's suddenly become their problem because it's quite a large write-off for them. Yeah. Um, and, and it's much easier when the debt has become so large that it, you're more likely to um, to just may, maybe close that business down and uh, you've already written in, in your own mind that, uh, that things have gone past the point of no return. Yeah. Um, I, I've been wondering, uh, having a conversation with, with my dad actually, about whether the Conservatives or, 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 or any government would look to potentially increase a tax but um maybe call the extra increase a sort of like coronavirus recovery tax mm. um as a means of effectively one a bit of a pr policy to try and people would understand why they would have to pay this it tax increase because you know the government's effectively propped up a large proportion of, of the economy for for a few months um but also don't forget the government made a a pledge um, back when they were getting elected, you know, less than 12 months ago, although that seems a lifetime ago now, doesn't it? Um, that they weren't going to increase any of the major taxes. Mm. Um, but obviously they made that, that pledge without knowing what would, what was going to happen this year. Yeah. Um, so that's my view is whether they would do something like that. Um, but then actually it would just become permanent eventually. Um, but they would introduce it as a, as a temporary measure, um, as, a, as a PR stunt. Um, the other thing you mentioned, Stephen, obviously, was about HMRC's ability to, to recover taxes um, from insolvencies from the, from the 1st of December this year. HMRC will become a, a preferential creditor again. Uh, that means that they rank at the top of the queue. Um, so they're, they're the first in line after the cost of the process to get paid. Um, they estimate that this will see them recover an extra £185 million a year, which compared to the situation we're in is very, very small fry. Um, it's probably going to have a longer term negative impact from that, as, as, as James could probably talk about in terms of banks' attitude to lending when they, they know that they're going to rank behind um, HMRC, who's typically the first the first person that someone, a bit an SME business stops paying when they're when they're struggling. 
Um, but actually, they, the government also released some figures that it's going to cost them £1.06 million just to change their computer systems um, to enforce this change, which seems a staggeringly high number. So if there's any, yeah. any listeners out there that, that wants to pitch for that contract and, you know, you're only going to, you're going to do it on the cheap for half a million quid. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a contract worth winning there. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. We know, we know that there's, you know, obviously the coronavirus support plans um, cost a fortune. The figures are out for the eat out, eat out, help out scheme. Um, so that's cost £550 million. Um, do you think that's been worthwhile? Is that something that the, the economy will actually see a boost for? Um, or, or is it just a, a bit of a PR scam to get people back into restaurants? I think I think it's um it's a gimmick. I don't think there's anything wrong with a gimmick occasionally, um, because a lot of this is confidence based. So it was it was an easy hit for the chancellor to announce this because everyone knows the impact the hospitality and catering industry has you know the suffering it's had over the last few months. There have been a lot of um a lot of restaurants who have pulled out of the scheme. You haven't found it very productive for them. And um, I, I do believe that it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily fulfilled its, its criteria. I mean, obviously we will wait, we will wait and see, but um, as far as being a gimmick's concerned, I, I guess it served its purpose. Do, do I think that spending half a, well, is it 522 million, you say, yeah. that sort of money, almost, um, Almost a, bit, a billion pounds, or half a billion pounds on um, on a on a gimmick. Is that a good use of taxpayers' money? I would suggest probably not. Um, at a time when there's still so many people excluded from help, limited company directors, people who have slipped through the net with regard to the furlough scheme, is pumping out money into restaurants and eateries who are offering cheap meals to generally people who could afford to pay the full price is that a good use of government money well it's not for me to say but um i have i have my doubts it's much beyond the gimmick really the uh, the, the funniest story that i read on it um on the bbc website was uh, some some young lady that uh, said that she'd eaten out every day sometimes twice a day on the eat out to help out scheme um and she loved it and it was an absolutely brilliant idea Guess what she did for a living? Um, so I guess she was a student. She was a student. A student e eating out to help out every single day for a month. And um, so there you go. Double funded. By the I hope public. she can afford her student loan payments soon. <laughs> well, because the thing is, she said, and I read that story, she said that it had, um, it had saved her 150 quid, didn't it? So which basically yes. meant it had yes. cost her 150 quid to eat out for a month. Yes. Well, I could have saved her another 150 20 <laughs> odd quid by you know going down to tesco and cooking us some meals or whatever absolutely but other supermarkets are available of course but uh... <laughs> unless they sponsor us and then tesco are brilliant um so final story that i i, I liked this week um, and it was announced today pret a -Mange. um so they're they're not doing very well they are uh closing lots of stores they're making 2900 people um redundant but they've announced a digital subscription. So you order through an app, it costs you £20 a month. And for that, you get up to five drinks a day. Now, I, I'm a big fan of the subscription model. I think it's a, 
a great, uh, great idea. And for me, this one, it seems really clever. It's like Amazon Prime, but in the high street. It's getting people, that, people to pay £20 a month for a subscription. They get the coffees, five a day if they need it. Um, but it's getting them into their shops. And when they're in the shops, they're spending £6 on a sandwich and £5 on a cake and that kind of thing. Um, so I, th I, th I think it's a brilliant idea. Do you think others will adopt this and, and generally adopt a kind of subscription model in the high street? Do you think that's the, the saviour of the high street or is it too little too late? I think what it offers someone like Pret is slightly more certainty of income. So at the moment, they open their doors every day as every retailer and restaurant does and cross their fingers for how many people are actually going to walk through the door and spend money there. I think if you've got £20, yes, it's, you know, you, your drinks could work out costing you 20p each as opposed to the £2.50 they are now. But if you've got 100,000 people in London who are all subscribed to £20 a month, at least you've got something to work your cash flow off. Yeah. And um, for the sake of £20 a month, a lot of people, like with their gym memberships, will sign up, probably very rarely use it, but still keep it just in case. Mm. So it's a convenience thing for the client, which is great. It's great value for money if you're having a cup of coffee a day and it offers a, a cash flow boost for someone like Pret to help them manage it going forward, which is going to be all important. So I don't see it as anything other than a win-win. Yeah. It's offering value. And you mentioned Amazon Prime as an example. Well, like a lot of people, I, I signed up for it grudgingly because my wife wanted to and, and now I wouldn't be without it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. So... I do see this as being a future for a lot of retailers. It would have to be a retailer who offers something on the size of prep. I could certainly see other similar coffee shops, maybe even your subways of this world, offering a similar sort of scheme where a monthly commitment is required. But sometimes it's a lot easier to have £20 standing water come out of your bank every month, which you barely notice, than actually handing over a crisp £5 note yeah. or, your, or your debit card every day. Yeah. Jamie, would you buy coffee on a subscription basis? Um, no, but that's probably because I don't buy enough coffee anyway. But I, I, I think what Pret's problem is, is their location, isn't it? They're, they're associated with sort of train stations and the, and the big city commute. Yeah. But is, is me committing to buying coffee every day um, going to change the decision about whether I go to the office? I, I don't think it would. I think it's probably only, as James says, it's going to offer them certainty on getting probably a few more people through the door. But is it going to change? Is it going to actually get people that wouldn't have otherwise gone through the door through the door? And that's and that's possibly the the question. The question. Um, I do agree with you, Stephen. I do think the subscription model works. It, it's it's guaranteed income for you, isn't it? Um, mm. Although now, uh, now James has mentioned uh, Subway, I'm sort of thinking, would I pay to have a Subway sandwich every week? I probably would, because it's been a while since I've had a, sa a Subway sandwich, and uh, exactly the smell when you go in the place is um, is quite is just quite good, you, doesn't it? Yeah, just gets you. That's good. So thanks very much, guys, for your contributions this week. Really appreciate it. My my final story is my favourite one this week, which is Rolls-Royce. Um, so Rolls-Royce, obviously, really struggling, but the, the spin that they put out on it is that their order books for luxury cars are still um, really strong. And um, and their new one, their new model, the Ghost, 
is, is uh, a SNP at just a quarter of a million quid. So I know that they've got lots and lots of people um, <laughs> snapping that up. It does uh, look very nice. Yeah, it, it does. Yeah, it does. I've, see, I've so, seen one in, in the flesh at um, a Beaulieu Car Museum. They've got a ghost there. And it does look, um, yeah, quite magnificent. With a, uh, so my favourite feature of it, it's got a pop-out umbrella in the dashboard, um, which was a new one for me. Mm. But, um, but yes, a, a pop-out branded umbrella. Um, that that's worth a quarter of a million quid. Yeah, that's that's nice. The 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 Skoda has that as well. Yeah. Oh well, it genuinely does. Um, I'm not, not sure if it's that. branded though. Yeah. I don't know, but it comes out the side of the door and it looks quite cool. Surely, surely, if you if you've if you've been able to afford a ghost, surely the um, the pop up umbrella should be the butler getting out of the um, the passenger yeah. seat or uh, or the driver's seat even actually and uh, and coming to your door with the umbrella already open. Well, my, my butler certainly does. So um, I can only speak for me, but 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 yes. But it, it, it's nice to know though that um, Rolls Royce is still selling their quarter of a million pound cars to the elite while while the country burns, isn't it? Yeah. So, yes, good to see they've um, judged the mood of the nation. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Great. Thank you very much, guys, for joining me on this week's The Business Herald podcast. Uh, we'll Thank be back you. online again next Friday. The new newsletter comes out every Friday uh, around about three o'clock in the afternoon. And the podcast will also follow once it's been edited and uploaded. So that's it. You can visit our website at www.businessherald.co.uk and subscribe to the newsletter there. Thanks very much for listening. Take care.